Everyone knows someone who's had a baby. We see it depicted on TV and movies all the time. But when it comes to thinking about pregnancy and childbirth, lots of people don't know what options are available when it comes to pain relief. This does vary slightly throughout the world. In today's episode, Hannah chats with Mel, a midwife, about some of the options you might think about for your own actual or theoretical pregnancy. Now, today's episode is a little bit different because we're talking about a topic related to pregnancy. I thought it was relevant because a lot of like the people that follow my Instagram page and listen to the podcast are kind of females 20 to 35-ish, so certainly in the age group where you know you have reproductive capacity and this might be something that you think about down the track and i also feel like people don't have a good understanding necessarily of what is available like a lot of what we know comes from movies and stuff like that so today we're specifically talking about what the pain relief options are in labor and we're actually doing this over two episodes so today we're focusing on the midwifery side of things uh, and then i talk to an anesthetist in the next episode about spinal anesthesia and epidurals and things like that so to talk about this in a little bit more detail i have a very overqualified guest (laughs) mel welcome to the show thank you thanks for being on so mel you're a registered nurse you're a registered midwife, you have a master's of midwifery, you're a lactation consultant, you're a mother of two. <laughs> um, what else have you done? Oh, yeah, you used to be a neonatal ICU nurse. <laughs> I did. I trained in a NICU, but then I went into midwifery. So, I've yeah, I seem to be torn between two, but at the moment I'm in midwifery. So that's where I yes. am. So a wealth of knowledge in, I guess, this topic. Oh, look, I hope so. (laughs) Oh, well, shall we get into it? Let's get into it. I thought we would start just by kind of getting an idea about what labour actually is, because I feel like in the movies, it's always so obvious, like the waters break and then suddenly they're pushing and it's like, oh, obviously that person is in labour. But as a midwife, how do you kind of work out whether or not somebody's actually in labour? Well, to start with, that's certainly not how it goes. <laughs> Look, it can, but it's very rare. Um, how I explain it to girls that are coming in and having babies is that there are three stages of labour and the first stage is the hardest. So that's talking about the latent phase of labour all, all the way to 10 centimetres dilatation in your cervix and having the baby. So that's where majority of the work is done. So how I explain it and how it's, you know, we chat about it in antenatal classes is the first, like the latent phase, it's when you're getting like period pain, you're uncomfortable, you know, something's happening but it's not, you know, contractions that are regular and lasting a long time and you're unhappy and you know you're really uncomfortable it's more like your body is starting a process so it's a slow process but it's a really important process because what it's trying to do is thin out your cervix which your cervix is normally three to four centimeters in length so long so what it needs to do your cervix needs to shorten and then once it's shortened then it will dilate. So that means your cervix opens. So the latent phase is your cervix, which is reducing in length and then getting to about three centimetres. So that's what we would call the latent phase. So that's majority of that phase we aim for people to be at home and just in an environment that they're relaxed 
and comfortable. You then move on after that's, that phase has kind of happened, you move on and you'll notice as a woman who's laboring that your contractions will become more regular and more painful. So yeah, it'll take your breath away. You're not smiling anymore. It's <laughs> getting a little frustrated. Seriously reconsidering why you got in this situation. <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> That's exactly what you're doing at that stage. And you're kind of really uncomfortable. So you yeah. sometimes get like quite agitated and you know, you're, you're moving around. It's quite primal. You move around and you mm. try and find the best place that you can be to be comfortable basically and that is when we're kind of aiming from three centimeters to eight centimeters that's your active first stage and then you go into your transitional phase so that's you've really done the hard yards and your eight to ten centimeters and you feel like you just cannot do this anymore. And the amount of times that women turn to me and say, right, oh, I'm leaving, like I just can't do it anymore. Mm-mm. And that's a really like it's a funny stage because it can be overwhelming, the pain. You are expecting your contractions because you've settled into normally quite a regular pattern. And then, sorry, I just thought of something really funny. <laughs> mm, please share. <laughs> One of the midwives that I work with, which it's not, look, I laugh about it. I don't necessarily believe it. But one of the midwives that I worked with before I had my baby, she said, when you first start laboring and you get kind of to transitional, like you really think you're going to die. And then you get to transition and second stage, and then you're afraid you're not going to die. And I'm like, <laughs> wow, <laughs> that really very extreme. <laughs> No, I mean, it's a good, it, it really puts into perspective the kind of terror from the pain you're experiencing. And I think it's funny, midwives have like a sixth sense about transitional stages. Like they yeah. just know like, oh, that yeah. woman's probably nine centimetres. Like you, even if you've it's, not examined them, yeah. I, I could never do it. But Oh, Hannah, I'm sure you've had a whole lot of experience <laughs> in that. But it is, it's like, it's funny and it sounds ridiculous, but like the grunts that come out of women and it's like that I can't do this anymore I'm like and it's the giving up where you know it's Mm. like no you can and this is your body being transit in the transitional phase and you're just about to have your baby as in you know you're not it's not the process like you've gone through to thin and dilate your cervix it's a different process Mm. from that stage on what things can people kind of do to prepare for pain in labor or to get a better understanding I think I think with my friends with the women that I look after, I think the one of the biggest things that you could do is to do your research. And I don't mean delve into every textbook and read, you know, front to back. I mean, be prepared as in birthing classes, if that suits you, online classes, if that suits you, just mm-hmm. being aware of the process of what's happening. Knowledge gives you power. And mm-hmm. I think there's some fantastic things that you can do to prepare yourself and things that I did myself to prepare myself or yourself for labor it's something that if you haven't experienced before you can't prepare for it in the sense of you don't quite know but Mm. you need to get some coping mechanisms because it's a really great experience but you just need knowledge yeah and I guess too, like at the end of the day, it's super normal, even though it's, it, you know, it's outside of anything that a lot of us have experienced before, but it is normal at the end of the day. 
and maybe even like getting friends or your mom or whatever to share their birth story do you like do you think I, that's I think there's so much power in that and I was actually talking to your sister the other day and we were talking about her labor and when she was in the transitional phase she was in her head she was thinking my mum did this, she's a strong woman. My grandma did this, she's a strong woman. And that was mm-hmm. a coping mechanism for your sister to be able to get through labour and it's finding what works for you and sticking to it when your mind's strong. You'll get through it, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's hectic. <laughs> so in terms of pain relief, well, I guess with anything in medicine, we always kind of think about what can we do that doesn't involve medication or intervention And then we obviously move on to those things if relevant. In labour, what kind of non-medication, non-intervention things can people do to help manage their pain? Look, like I said, it's getting prepared, doing your research. So just going back on that, there are like a few really great um, birthing um, education classes that you can do. I don't know if you've heard of like hypnobirthing or she birthing, calm birth. It's just, you know, going to antenatal classes at the hospital, finding what works for you, having an idea of the process and what might work for you. I, when I um, had my first baby, Edie, I got told by one of my friends to read a book and it was called um, Birth Skills by Juju. I don't actually know how to say her last name. Sudan? We will link it in the show notes. <laughs> Thank you. And that was honestly my saving grace. I thought that that was like fantastic. I loved it. I tell everyone that I possibly can to just go get a book. It doesn't cost a huge amount of money, but it was so mm-hmm. practical and so fantastic. You know, there's other things that you can do, like you can get support from a doula if you feel like you need a birthing partner as in a doula, getting your partner to to also be educated in ways to help you through labour I think is really mm. important. But also I guess for their own benefit too, like how terrifying yeah. seeing someone you care about in the most yeah. excruciating pain of their life. Yeah. yeah. And so good for I, both parties. Yeah, and I talk to some partners after and they say if they haven't done anything they say how ill-prepared they felt and that they they couldn't cope with the fact that their partner was in so much pain because you are in Mm -hmm. pain um, and they just didn't quite know how to help so it's Mm -hmm. really useful for partners to get involved as well because if you're not involved you're kind of sitting in the background and it's just you know can be quite overwhelming so finding ways to help your partner is really important as well so like in that sense that's you know before your labor but if we're talking more you know in you're starting the first stages of labor and you know you're at home the non-pharmacological things that we can do is like jump in the shower Mm. get in the water if you have a bath get in the bath if you want to move around dim the lights it's just making yourself feel comfortable so that your body releases oxytocin so that these contractions still go. So very important kind of stuff mm. at home. Heat packs, massage. Aromatherapy, is that? Aromatherapy, common? yeah. yeah. So yeah. in, I don't, where you worked, Hen, did they do aromatherapy much or was it more? So 
Not that I ever noticed, but that yeah. doesn't mean it wasn't happening, <laughs> yeah. to be honest. So where we work, which is rural, which I think, you know, I think we're very women-centred and I'm not saying that as in tertiary is not because I've worked tertiary and there are, they are women-centred. It's just that the acuity of patients can sometimes be obviously higher. Mm. But in the unit that I work in, we do use aromatherapy a lot reflexology so tell us about that well (laughs) there's little spots in your foot and it's on the back of your heel as well which can just increase um uterine contractions so and making them more regular it's kind of painful to do as in like Mm. it's rubbing your achilles tendon basically but it's just like a natural way of trying to start Mm. um labor properly and get into a regular rhythm and is that something like a birth partner would do or do you as a midwife do that for people ever oh look (laughs) get in amongst the feet (laughs) i i don't because i don't love feet to be honest with you so (laughs) if i don't do my husband's feet massage them i'm not doing my strangers no offense (laughs) i look i did it for my sister when she was in labor and it worked um, have I done it for women? No, but I do show partners how to do it. So it is yeah. a really good thing for partners and it's something that partners can be involved in. Yeah. Partners can be involved in massaging. So mm-hmm. some women like touch, so you could rub their back and we kind of get partners involved in that too because that's, again, something that they can do so they don't feel left out. And I think like a lot of this stuff sounds so simple, but at the same time, yeah. If you wait to think about this stuff until you're in the throes of labor, like yep. you're not going to be thinking in a kind of rational, planned way. Like at least if you've given it some thought, you yep. can tell your partner, these are the things I would like to try. So if I'm beside myself with pain, please just, you know, remind me that these options are available. I talked to my husband before we had Edie on the ideals of what I would like. And if I was asking mm-hmm. for this or this, I really want you to talk to me about it because I may not be in my right mind, which was really powerful because there were times where I did ask for things that I was very certain I didn't want Mm -hmm. and he would remind me of that. I think it's like the art of distraction as well. So with the Juju Birth Skills book, it's deep relaxation, you're finding your outlet, so you're finding your it's distraction basically. So, you know, some women find shaking a thing of tic tacs, all the midwives are going to kill me now, and <laughs> doing it ten times is something that they'll focus on rather yeah. than their contraction. So for me, I was like rubbing my heel on the bed. I was on a bed because I had to be monitored. So rubbing my foot on the bed, and it was just something that you could count, one, two, three, four, and it was something that instead of focusing on this is going to get worse, it was like, right, I've got 10 seconds, 20 seconds, and then it's going to peak, and then it's going to come back down. So it was like, and if you're someone like hypnobirthing, to be able to go somewhere and kind of be distracted in that sense, deep, deep relaxation, you're winning. Yeah. Not letting it get on top of you. And then once that kind of gets on top of you, it's really hard to get you back down to managing, if that makes sense. Yeah. And I think like a lot of the things you mentioned were very much about like what the room is like and whether that's yeah. at home or if you do birth at the hospital, like again, 
having an idea of what kind of room you might find conducive to controlling your pain or just feeling present. Again, I think it's it's great if you can think about that ahead of time. Even music and stuff like that. Yeah, so one of my favourite women that I ever looked after came in with her headphones in. So it didn't even necessarily have to be put on, you know, the music for everyone mm-hmm. to hear. She had her headphones in and she was in her space and she laboured beautifully and I thought when I had a baby I would do something similar. It didn't go mm-hmm. down that way. But <laughs> music therapy can be really, really um, powerful as well, especially if you're like really into music, put your earphones in and go somewhere else and I think you're laughing at that point. Yeah. Have you seen, I'm sure you have, on Mm -hmm. the internet all these videos that have gone viral of, like, labouring women dancing with, like, their midwives or, like, (laughs) does that ever happen in rural or regional, you know, hospitals in Australia? (laughs) I'd love to say yes. Have I ever seen it? No. Maybe you should start Would I be worried if... Look, some of the midwives that I work with I'm sure could get down Mm. and dance just like the rest of us but I'd look why not they're obviously yeah. not in um active labor I would say I think yeah. <laughs> it looked like they were more um you know starting induction or something and everything was very smiley and happy I think yeah we as midwives aim to you know stop the talking wipe the smile of your off your face and that's when we know that labor is really progressing which is terrible to say but mm. you know when you're laughing and smiling and dancing I would really question whether you're in labor maybe yeah and I guess for some people that latent phase that you mentioned from kind of zero to three centimeters can last like a really long time yeah. and I guess yeah if you can think of different activities to do maybe that's yep. helpful for some people like even yep, if it is absolutely. dancing for 10 minutes like you know there's so many different things and people often feel quite restrained I think by being in the hospital or whatever so I don't know I thought that was a bit of fun they're always funny to watch <laughs> I saw it and I was like I wish that our doctors you've worked with some of our doctors where I work I, you could see them I can't, Im- I can't imagine them doing it to be honest <laughs> <laughs> lovely, lovely doctors, but I can't imagine them like, yeah. Anyway, can we talk about sterile water injections? Yes, we can. So, <laughs> what are they and who can have them and all of that? So, sterile water is exactly what it is. So, sterile water, and we pop it in your lower back. So, in it, we use a needle, and normally we would get two midwives to do this. So, you do it together and you put a small amount of sterile water, it's intradermal, so it's not a subcutaneous, it's not into your fat, it's into your skin layer. And there's four different spots on your lower back. So we use it for women who have awful back pain um, in labour, which can unfortunately happen. And that is more to do with the position of your baby. Look, full disclosure here, it's really painful because... That's kind of the point, right? Yeah, so... I've had it and (laughs) it was described as a bee sting. It's a bit more than a bee sting. And (laughs) as it's going in, you're kind of like, I can't deal with this. It's too much. And it's only a small volume. But by the time that you've got the four spots done on your back, it's kind of distracting the pain from, yeah, your back into the spots where you've had the sterile water. So it sounds silly. It works though. It's just a natural kind of form of pain relief. Mm -hmm. And can you have them at any time during 
labor or is there like no you can so it's safe to have all the way through so there's you know if it worked for you and you wanted it again there's absolutely no reason why you couldn't have it again now what about tens tens machines do you well, can you tell us a bit about those i can and i love them so they're like a little white box basically and you have four separate probes that you put on your back and so what it does what TENS stands for um, transcutaneous electric nerve stimulation so what it is it stimulates your nerves when you're having a contraction so it's again it's like a referred pain it's like art of distraction basically so we use it in early labor I have had girls that have used it all the way through, loved it. It was, you know, as your contractions go on, you can turn the tens up. So your partner, this is a really good one for your partner as well. So when you're getting a contraction, what you can do is you or your partner can can start the tens, which is kind of stimulation to your nerves, which then kind of distracts the pain. And you turn it up as your contractions get worse. So, or stronger, I should say. So it's a good one for your partner to use as well. So your partner can kind of, all right, it's going to be a big one. Can you turn it up? Yep, start it now. So it's it's timing with your contractions and it's giving stimulation to your nerves, which is a distraction basically. I like that too. It's like we're fighting this pain together. I know, turn it out. This is going to be a big one. (laughs) How high does that thing go? (laughs) And there's some women that like really use it so well. And and I've had women that that's the only thing that they've used and they've kind of seemed to have breezed through it. So you can normally hire them or if you're in a birth centre, they should probably have some there. Yeah, and in the in the labour ward, delivery suite, also they should have some in tertiary centres. If not, you should be able to hire them from people. But, yeah, they're good yeah. ones. I kind of think it of it all like a bit of a toolkit, like yeah. not every tool is going to be relevant to every job, you know, like some people are going to find some things really helpful or things that appeal to them and others just won't. And if you are one of those people that are just like, I'm having an epidural straight away, that's fine, power yeah. to you. I think the whole point of this podcast is so people can have an awareness of what options are available to them. So then at least you can make an informed choice. I think also like talking about the different models of care that are available to women, that would be the other thing that I would say to women is make sure you know what what is offered. So some towns do group practice, other towns do team midwifery, other towns do birth centres, other towns do... GP shared care just be just do your research and understand Mm. what is available and what might work for you some women love group practice where it's a midwife that you know will see you all the time will majority of the time be there at your birth and then follow you up postnatally other women don't mind it doesn't matter I'm not worried and I'll go into delivery suite and have a baby and that's fine so I just think with the girls that are having babies, do your research and see what's available for you would mm. be my advice yeah. there. But doula, no doula, you know, it's just what works for you. I feel like it's not just about being pregnant. It's, you know, so many things about your personal circumstances as well can influence what kind of birthing experience that you Absolutely. want. Like, I was reading a article about a woman whose partner had died just before or during her pregnancy anyway and obviously that really changes what your experience is going to be of 
giving birth to the child that you'd conceived mm. with your partner who's now died. Like it's not it's not always straightforward for people. And I think as healthcare professionals, we really need to remember that. And we don't yeah. like we can't make these decisions on the behalf of women or people because it's so personal and so individual. Yeah, spot on. So that's kind of an overview, I guess, of the non-pharmacological or non-medical things. There's lots of other stuff out there, but again, it's just about finding some resources and working out what suits you. In terms of actual medication, what kind of tablet pain relief options are available to labouring women? So in the hospital that I work in we don't normally do this and it's just the hospital that I work in however when I was like in tertiary hospitals we would use Panadol so we're talking like more latent phase so like the phase Mm -hmm. where you're thinning out your cervix you're normally at home so Panadol can work really well with like warm shower, Panadol, heat pack, try and jump into bed, get some sleep. And I know you're not going to go to sleep and have an eight-hour sleep. That's (laughs) not really what we're aiming for. We're just aiming for basically resting between tightenings, working our way up to even like Panadine 4, so that's Panadol and Codeine. Um, And that can just knock the edge off them enough where you can, as in your contractions enough, so that you can just get some rest. You know, I feel really sorry for the girls that labour in the night and labour all night and then come, you know, 12 midday and they're still going and they're exhausted and they're tired. So if that's you and you find yourself labouring, I don't know, 10pm at night and you know that it's all going to be in front of you, as a midwife, I would say to you, I want you to get in the shower. I want you to have some Panadol if you can, have a heat pack and I want you to jump into bed and try and just rest for the moment because you're going to get into labour and it's really important for you to rest to start with. So, and then going into like Panadine 4, things like that, it is a bit stronger. So, you know, if you're not in established labour, you will rest in between. Um, So it's a good one before you're getting into active labour basically. Um, So that tablet form, some women vomit though. Um, when they're Mm labouring so some women just like it's just like yeah they just can't stop vomiting unfortunately and normally at that stage if you're vomiting at home we'd probably get you to come in because you'll be dry because you're doing Mm. a job it's labour for a reason like Mm -hmm. it's hard work (laughs) so you'd probably be coming in and we'd be making sure you're well hydrated but yeah Tablet form in the beginning stages can be really, really great and can just take the edge off enough for you to get some rest or tolerate between. Um, But, yeah, it doesn't also suit everyone like we've Mm. talked about. Lots of people too have Nurofen at home. Can they take that? (laughs) Well, I would say no to that. Just um, in pregnancy we say no to um, non-steroidals. So that's our Voltaren and Nurofens. Yes, after you can. Um, but not when you're pregnant, no. Yeah, just a good one to know because lots of people have it in their bathroom cupboard, I think, so it's good to know, not in pregnancy. What about morphine? Well, I would say that morphine is used, well, it can be used, again, in the early phase so that if you're not coping at home, and you've come into hospital and we find, so we'll do a vaginal examination. And so that's the way that we use to assess how you're laboring. 
and say you're two centimetres and you've got some length still in your cervix, at that time we'll talk to you about what pain relief is available. And if, you know, the pains are strong and you're not coping well, um, we can offer you morphine. So morphine is an opiate and we would give it to you in an injection and that kind of is dependent on your body weight. So look, what how we would do it in the hospital that I work in is we would give you some morphine, we'd probably give you some Panadol. They work really well together. Again, heat pack, tuck you into bed and hope that you get some sleep. But morphine is normally, you know, quite effective in the second well, not the second stage, but active phase of the of labor. So that's when you're three centimeters. I don't know. We need to assess women before we give morphine because we mm-hmm. can't give morphine if the baby is near. That's because it can knock the respiratory drive of the baby. So the term that we would use is they're born flat or floppy. So they're not they're not breathing like we would like them to breathe because mm-hmm. morphine does crossover so yeah so it's good early on if you have an assessment of your cervix first so you know your baby's not imminently arriving now I guess I've kind of gone about these questions in a funny order because I feel like (laughs) right at the end we're coming to one of the real mainstays of pain relief in labor so I'm sorry if I've confused anyone by doing that but gas of course is super common when they say gas what what is it (laughs) so it's happy gas what you'd get at the dentist, I, I think, is, you know, I think that's the only term that I had heard before I actually was a midwife. So it is a mixture of oxygen and nitrous oxide and it's kind of titrated to what you need. So it's inhaled. It's through mm-hmm. a mouth. Well, how I've always done it is through a mouthpiece. If not, you can put like an oxygen mask around if you can't suck on it. There's yeah. a few women that feel claustrophobic and it's inhaled. So it's you have a big deep breath and you continually breathe on it. So as soon as you feel your contraction coming, you yeah. start breathing on it because it takes about 15 seconds to work. So big deep breaths and you kind of, you don't stop, you just keep breathing on it. And then the aim is for at the peak of your contraction that the nitrous oxide will be on board so you'll have some pain relief when it's the peak, so the most painful time, and then you keep breathing until your contraction goes. So it will quickly leave your body as well. So it's quick acting, it's inhaled, it leaves your body and it's happy gas. So some people kind of have fantastic pain relief on it, they love it, it's all they need. Other people makes you feel sick sometimes and they vomit. It makes you have a dry mouth so you're going to have to keep having water. Um, yeah. But it's a really good one because it's, it's, again, the art of distraction. If you're focusing on breathing on the nitrous, you kind of forget about the contractions because you're, you're mm. breathing so deeply on the nitrous that you're doing anything to stop the peak of the contraction. So it's the art of distraction as well with some pain relief. So I love the gas. I would... I get majority of the women to try it at least, if not just a breathing tool. Yeah. I had it in labour and I kept on saying to my midwife, can you please turn it up? Can you please turn it up? Can you please turn it up? And I literally, I could, I did not get any pain relief. I was in, tra- like mm. I was in the transitional phase. So, you know, I don't think anything would have cut the mustard then, but 
I um, I felt like I've ripped off a lot of women by saying it works. However, I'm <laughs> going back. I do know that it does work and it's a really fantastic breathing tool. It just didn't, yeah. again, talking personal, didn't work for me so well. Yeah. And I think that's kind of the theme of everything we've talked about. You know, none of this is this works for everyone or this doesn't work for anyone. It all just comes back to being a very individual experience. And the more information you can kind of gather before you're in the moment is probably the best. Is there anything else you wanted to mention? Any other pain relief options or anything else women should know about resources, anything else? I don't think that there's too much more pain relief wise. I know that it seemed to be a bit of a theme when I went to mother's group, it was kind of, you know, what did you have for pain relief? And it was kind of, I think there's a lot of pressure for women to do it drug-free. And how I would say that, and a lot of women come in determined to not use anything and that's absolutely fine and I was one of those women. But just keep in mind that we've never done it before and it's nothing to be ashamed of if you do mm. go straight for an epidural you go that's because it works for you for other women if you want to use gas and the bath that's what works for you so I think don't be ashamed of saying or talking about your pain relief or no pain relief it's so individual that it it doesn't matter like you don't get an award for having an epidural and you don't get an award for not having one it's just what works for you but yeah that's you know I I think there is a stepwise approach start at the bottom and work your way up if you can and see how you go yeah and I like I'm kind of I have mixed feelings about birth plans (laughs) yeah (laughs) random tack on at the end because on the one hand I'm like that's such an amazing idea like in every part of medicine we're like be informed make decisions feel empowered work out what you think might be best for you but I do think sometimes we run into trouble when it's a very black and white birth plan and you're kind of almost going to be let down by your birthing experience if it doesn't go exactly to plan and we know obstetrics often does not go to plan so (laughs) I would agree with what you said there and I think just being flexible I think that there's so much power in knowledge and you know having your ideals of what you would like but not being too disappointed if you know it ended up being that you had awful back pain that sterile water injections didn't help and for the you know for you you decided that having an epidural was the best don't be disappointed in that. I, yeah, just being flexible in your birthing plan. I think that there is every place for a birthing plan, but being having a flexible birthing plan, you'll walk out very happy rather than being disappointed. And like you said, obstetrics is rarely predictable. So yeah. I think having flexibility will serve you well in yeah, your birthing plan. Sure. Great. So I guess if anyone has any questions or comments about anything that we've chatted about today, you can join our Facebook group and we also have an Instagram account. I'm going to link some of those resources that Mel mentioned in the show notes if anyone is interested in doing some further reading. Thanks, Mel, for joining me. Thank you so much for having. I hope that helps. (laughs) Bye-bye. Bye.
You to you, you to me, you to us is a podcast for general discussion only. Nothing we talk about should be taken as personal medical advice, and it does not substitute information or instructions given to you by your own doctor. If the podcast raises any questions or concerns for you, please see your GP, sexual health, or family planning clinic. For general discussion, you can find us on Instagram and Facebook. And please, stop trusting strangers on the internet with your health. This podcast is a production of Simo Interactive, home of the My Millennial Money podcast. Podcast.